You're listening to episode 76 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and buckle up, baseball fans. To get this game back, it's going to be a bumpy ride. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us again this week. I am Tara, along with Alex for real this time. After a couple of weeks away, we skipped a week and then Alex was out of commission last week. So he is back on the show. Alex, how are things? Things are things are well. How are how are things on your end? And, and before you answer that, I would like to note that your interview with Xavier Scruggs was excellent. Oh, thank you. Yeah, he was he was great. He was uh, a great addition, very last minute on my part, but it worked out well. And I hope people enjoyed that interview. He had a lot of interesting things to say. And he's got some some great stories about his time overseas, as well as, you know, within the Cardinals organization. He spent a lot of years uh, trying to get to the the top of the mountain. So it was great to have him on the show. Um, as far as me, things are things are fine. We've had a little bit of a dip in the weather again, which makes going outside and getting fresh air a little more challenging. At least it didn't snow here, though, which it was doing in many places near me. So I'm choosing to not complain about the coldness because it could be much worse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I went for a walk. Uh, You know what I noticed during all this is, uh, so I have a a mask and I, I try to wear it. Uh, pretty regularly, uh, but I don't always remember to bring it with me when I'm just like outside going for a walk. When I do have it on and I'm outside and you know just strolling around with my kids or whatever, and I see people without a mask on, I really have this uh, sense of judgment. Yeah. <laughs> but then when I don't have the mask on, and, and it's funny because it seems like the verdict is still out on how necessary helpful the mask is and all that stuff but sure but when i'm the one without the mask on and i'm walking around i have more of a don't you dare judge me (laughs) (laughs) um you know i'm staying away from you don't worry you're fine Uh um I, I guess what I'm trying to tell you is I'm a very selfish uh, person, I guess. Or uh... You know, so this is going to sound like a strange comparison, but just yeah. stick with me. When I grew up in Utah, I grew up skiing. We skied every year. Everyone I knew skied. It was what we did. Mm-hmm. And when you're a skier, you hate snowboarders because they get in your way and they mess up your, <laughs> I don't know, experience. And they just have a totally different attitude than skiers. Like when you are a skier, you hate snowboarders. The last year before we moved to the Midwest, my dad and I decided to learn how to snowboard. And I kid you not, one of the first runs we made on a snowboard, I got run over by a skier who then looked back at me like it was my fault that I got in his way. So when you're a snowboarder, then you think skiers are absolutely the worst. And I think in some respects, that's what happens here too, right? Like you're wearing a mask and you think everyone's judging me for wearing this mask and then you're not wearing it and you just get defensive because you feel like you need a reason. Let me be clear. When I'm wearing the mask, I'm judging other people who aren't wearing one. But when I'm not wearing one, I'm I'm defensive about them, the people (laughs) with masks on judging me. (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I get it. I get it. It's kind of similar. What you just described also with the skiing, snowboarding thing uh-huh. is definitely the relationship that bikers and uh, people driving cars have in DC. Mm. And whenever I'm on a bike, I hate uh, the cars. And when I'm in a car, I often hate the people on bikes. <laughs> Seems like uh, seems like there's a, a sort of instinctive trend there to just always assume it's the other person's fault, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, not a lot of people are out right now. So perhaps it's a little easier to avoid uh, avoid those those things. I don't know. We're all just hanging out, waiting for baseball to come back and doing things like debating the <laughs> who's more judgmental or when when we're more judgmental with with masks on. Although I do have to agree. I, I've been in that 
same situation. And, you know, I've been places where I'm thinking, how are none of you wearing masks? I don't understand this. And then I'll go out and take my dog out and not wear a mask and then feel like I need to defend myself every time I turn around a corner. So I get it. Um, that has nothing to do with what we are <laughs> going to talk about. But so it goes at the beginning of the show anymore. And the difference is we have actual baseball things to talk about, not necessarily news in the sense of things being decided or moving forward, but very much news in the sense that there are very intense negotiations happening about when and where and how baseball could potentially start up again. And there's a lot to this. We're just going to we're just going to preface this by saying there's a lot about this I don't necessarily have all the information on. There's a lot about the sort of revenue sharing aspect of this that I'm not the expert on, so I can really only talk about it as far as I've, you know, read kind of what other people have said and and then made my own conclusions from there. But we're going to talk about it a little bit, work through it and kind of <laughs> debate perhaps back and forth the merits of some of these things. Um, the The gist of it, though, is that there will, would be a, a, an approximately 80-game, 80 82-game season that would start around 4th of July, which would mean they have to decide on this pretty quickly in order to get players wherever they're going for spring training, especially those that have traveled sometimes out of the country to get back to family or whatever that might be. So that's one of the things. The biggest thing is that it would be a 50-50 revenue split, which is the big kicker right now as far as those logistics. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, there would also be a 14-team postseason. Games would be played in home stadiums where that was allowed. The DH would be operational in both leagues. And they would only play games against regional opponents. So the AL West and the NL West would play each other in order to keep some of that travel limited. They would have pretty significantly extend expanded rosters as well as you know, the taxi squad that would travel with them that could be activated if necessary. And they would play with no fans, at least to begin the season. So those are kind of the, the, the skeleton points of this proposal. And I, I sort of want to start with this, Alex. The, the owners made this proposal public under the premise of owners have agreed on a way to start baseball season, which in and of itself was pretty easy to see through as the owners trying to set themselves up as the champions, the good guys, so that if and when the Players Association pushed back, they were the villains in this scenario, which, shocker, that's exactly what has happened. <sighs> Baseball really doesn't need this <laughs> right now between the owners and the players. I, I, I don't know. We'll just start with that because I feel like that was what I wanted to say. No, I have a, yeah, I have a couple of thoughts on this. Well, I, I mentioned, I think, a couple of weeks ago that I certainly want the decision makers or the people who are trying to cook up something, anything to salvage a season to be constantly thinking about what they can possibly do if best case scenario, um, comes about and meaning best case scenario being that this is safe, that we can actually do this. Um, and, and I want them, I want them to be prepared for that even when it's not safe, which right now I feel as though, um, we're not there yet. Right. I mean, most of the country is still pretty much on lockdown and we're not in a position where we can have baseball games. That said, I still want them thinking about this just so we're ready in case somehow we get to that point where, hey, guess what? We can have baseball now. But what I don't like is the fact that it's being public, it's being debated in the public sphere, sphere, not, you know, usually transparency is kind of what we all want. But this is a conversation I'd rather them be having behind closed doors for almost the exact reason what you said is it sounds if you're a cynic, if you're going to be a cynic about it, like it's kind of just a ploy to gain leverage in what could be a uh, 
you know, kind of a costly PR battle in terms of like, look, the reason why we're not having baseball is because of the players and not because of us. Um, you saw what we put out there. We were ready. Um, and the players balked and that's why we don't have baseball. So I, and I almost find it to be a little irresponsible too. Um, again, yeah. I, I'm, I'm just following what I understand to be the instructions at the time, which is that, you know, it's still not safe. And so if this is being debated so publicly, then I feel like it gives off a false impression that, that we're at a safer spot than we actually are right now. Does that, does that make sense? Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's it just, there's so many moving parts of this. And like you said, I don't even fully understand it at all. And I also haven't made the best effort to fully understand it at all. I'm just so burned out <laughs> on this stuff. It's really hard. Yeah, It's really hard to keep up with baseball news when there's no baseball. That's one thing I've really learned during all of this. Uh, I don't know if you would agree with that. But also, yeah. like, have you ever been confronted with like two options? And um, one of the options is much less desirable than the other. But mentally, you've kind of accepted that option just based on the facts in front of you. Um, and then for some reason, something happens where it's like, oh, wait, like, actually, the better option is now available. And you're almost kind of annoyed just because you've already accepted, um, <laughs> yeah. you've mentally already accepted the other bad option. I have almost already mentally accepted there being no baseball, that it's really hard to kind of um, reset my brain to a spot where there actually is baseball, even if it's like a crazy version of baseball with no fans. And believe me, that is a crazy version of baseball. Um, so that's how I kind of feel about it, which doesn't at all go into the nuance of actually what the owners proposed and all that stuff, really. But I think that's where I am. I don't know if any of that is even all that coherent. But I yeah, mean, no, I, I think I think similarly, what's difficult for me is the the number of different proposals that have been leaked that it's hard. It's a little bit boy who cried wolf. It's like, OK, that's really ridiculous and absurd and crazy, you're obviously not going to do that. So then when an absurd proposal comes out that all of a sudden the players are like, whoa, no, actually, we really don't like this idea. Um, it's hard to take any of it super seriously. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it blows up into something like this. And it's still like it's still so dependent on whether or not they can play in these places. Right. So even all of this is still like you were saying, it's good to be prepared in the event that they do get sort of clearance and permission and, and the go ahead to play baseball in all of these cities. But it's still so heavily dependent on other things that it feels a little premature to turn this into the massive public debate that it already is when we don't even know if they're going to get clearance to play baseball right now in July or whenever it is to go back to these facilities in June for a, a second spring training or whatever. So there's so much that's still up in the air on kind of the safety front that it seems a little bit absurd to for the owners to turn this into such a public outcry against the players which is problematic on so many levels like the more i say that the more i talk about it the more i see some of these things it's problematic on well, so many levels because if they actually want baseball to happen this year they have to have the players to do it and yes i know like during the the strike season they tried to use replacement player whatever all the like i get it but the last thing that these owners want to do is be the the first sport that comes back right push that forward, do it when it's not safe and have some of their major stars choose to sit out if they can't come to an agreement or then be the sport that instead of came back and got everyone's attention, shut down entirely because they couldn't figure out how to honor an agreement that they'd already made. And it just all of that playing out while we're still waiting to see if this is even feasible from a safety standpoint is a little bit insane. Yeah. So this is going to be kind of a, a weird comparison, but uh, when when they talk about like, I, I just read this book that was about the IRA. Um, and when they talk about the IRA or any sort of um, terrorism or whatever, whatever you want to call it, 
you know, they always say like, well, you only have to be lucky once, meaning the IRA only has to be in this scenario, only has to be lucky once for them to carry out a something that could like, you know, affect a bunch of people. Like if they're trying to assassinate someone, right? Um, all right, this is a really stupid <laughs> comparison, but, but, but all right, so stay with me for a second here. Okay. As I understand it, the owners or the whole thing, are t- they're taking a major risk in looking very, very stupid because they only have to be unlucky once and it's all over. If, if one player gets it, yeah. as I understand it, then you have to, and correct me if I'm wrong, if they somehow found a loophole in this, but if one player gets it, then that team is on the shelf and perhaps a team they just played is also on the shelf. Well, once you have a team on the shelf, then you don't have a season. You can't just yeah. operate a season without a team. And so like they have to bat a thousand here. They have to right. be perfect. Yeah. Um, I, I did read a, a scenario yesterday where someone was suggesting that they wouldn't have to quarantine the whole team. They could just then immediately test everyone um, and and monitor them once okay. someone tested so that it wouldn't necessarily have to be like a two-week quarantine for the whole team. The The problem with that scenario is that as we have seen over and over again, someone (laughs) apparently was quite shocking due with the president, but someone can test negative one day (laughs) and positive the next because the, the way that this all works, it doesn't necessarily show up immediately or you did hadn't, hadn't been infected the previous day and you were the next day. That's how these things work. I don't, I feel like I'm trying to explain how something is contagious and I don't feel like I should have to do that. But the point is, um, even a strategy like that, that limits who would have to be quarantined and how, I don't know that, that all just sounds like conjecture to me in a in the sense that, okay, maybe that would work. But what if it didn't? And what if it wasn't a player? What if it was, you know, a staff member? Or what if it was, you know, there are so many ways that this could break down. Um, You know, Sean Doolittle actually tweeted a a very long thread of questions about the plausibility of this plan that had nothing to do with the financial side of it, which was very well thought out, very well spoken, Mm -hmm. as he always is. And I feel like that's what we should be debating, not whether or not the players should get the prorated salaries they agreed to or if they should agree to a 50-50 revenue share. That's what we should be talking about in all of this is making sure that there are logistics and plans in place if they're going to push ahead and play baseball. And look, we keep saying over and over again, we want there to be baseball. Like I would love to be watching baseball tonight and talking about what's happening there instead of talking about whether or not it makes sense to start the game. No one wants there to not be baseball. Yeah, you just hit on something that's really been annoying throughout this whole thing. Like the uh, owners could have proposed like, hey, you know what? We've come up with an idea where we're going to go play baseball on the moon. And if I were to like tweet out like, hey, uh, that sounds like a uh, not a very good idea and something hard to pull off. uh, I feel like there'd be 10 people in my mentions being like, dude, like, do you want baseball or not? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, we're trying to have baseball here. How about be a little positive? Like, yeah, I, of course I want baseball. And, and uh, you know, that's not the point. You can't just throw right. out these completely ridiculous scenarios like the original one of, you know, having all the teams basically playing in biodomes in Florida and Texas. And, and then if you get any sort of pushback at all, for it to be this thing of like, oh, I guess you just don't like baseball and yeah. you don't want it back. Like, no, I, of course I want it back, but I want it to be within the, I guess, bounds of reality. Uh, yeah. And, you know, one thing I do like is the fact that at least they're trying to move to a place where everyone is, is playing in their home ballpark. I think that's a preferable situation because you're not asking people to be away from their families. Um all the time, but but then that does introduce air travel, and mm-hmm. I would have to think. Uh, well, I don't have to think. I mean, based on a lot of things I've read, air travel, for the obvious reasons, is a very good way for the virus to spread. Just because you know everyone knows what it's like on an airplane, yeah. you're kind of all stuck breathing the same air. 
re, you yeah. know, with all different spores, you know, traveling, you know, from and one then, person to the next. And, and then you're dealing not only with the team and the staff, but with any media that travels with the team, which they normally in a normal season do, as well as the pilots of the plane and the flight attendants and the people who like, there are so many more people involved in this. And that's what should be the the priority in this conversation. And instead, it's how people are going to get paid. Now, that part of this conversation is also very frustrating because the owners continue to try to push the majority of the risk onto the players instead of taking the risk as the owners of the business. They they want the employees to take the the or at least an equal risk, which is not really how that tends to work. So just to to touch on that, because again, I have sort of been talking to people about it all day, but there's a lot about the sort of businessy X's and O's of the revenue sharing stuff that I just don't know enough to, you know, try to speak with any authority on it. But the idea is that the players and the owners had already agreed to prorated salaries, meaning the players would be paid for the number of games that they play, not the entirety of a season. Instead, now the owners want the players to accept a revenue share based on whatever they're able to put together over the course of a season because they're concerned that playing without fans is going to take such such a hit. Their revenue is going to take such a hit from that that they won't be able to make money and prorate salaries for players. Yeah. All of that said, it sounds like a very like logical businessy thing to be like, oh, we're not going to make as much money. How can we cut some corners? But that's not all that's going on here. And it, again, is the owners who are billionaires <laughs> trying to make the majority of the risk land on the players who are also risking their own health <laughs> by agreeing to this plan and playing without a lot of safety precautions in place. Yeah, I, I thought um, the St. Louis bullpen, I, I assume John Fleming tweeted this out. Um, uh-huh. I thought he had a good point where he just like basically said, look, if if that's the situation you're in, meaning the owners, that that you're in such a bad situation that you can no longer operate with the deal that was, I guess, um, formulated in March, and now to you know salvage any sort of profit or, or whatever, we need to move to this sort of uh, you know revenue sharing model and the forty eight percent. Fine. Uh, open your books and show us why that's the case. And right. if you once you do that, I think people would be more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I think people would be more understanding of mm-hmm. of the owner's position. Um, not necessarily siding with the owners, but saying like, okay, uh, I, I see where you're coming from, and you know, then we can start actually having real negotiations in, in good faith. But until that's done, it's really hard to, I guess, just take the owner's position at face value, like, because no one really believes, uh, no one really believes that the owners are actually, what would that one tweet say that kind of went viral that said there, uh, there was one tweet that everyone was kind of dunking on is basically saying like the owners are losing, uh, you know, basically saying they're, they're like facing huge hardships here. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we all understand that the owners are losing money. I right. don't think anyone actually believes the owners are in a very bad position to where, like, you know, they're not going to be able to afford whatever, you know. And and don't don't get me wrong, I'm not saying like, well, because of this, like, I expect you know a billionaire to all of a sudden like you know make as much money or be as rich as I am. You know, believe me, yeah. I'm not expecting a you know that of a billionaire, um, but. Yeah, I also am not, and I'm not ready to believe that they're actually in as bad of shape as they're trying to make it out to be. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a difference in 
not making as much money and losing money too. And that's where, you know, the the pro owner argument is that, oh, they're losing all of this money this year. And the pro player argument is, no, they're just not making as much. <laughs> because if a season still happens, there are still going to be TV deals. There are still going to be sponsors. There are still going to be blah, 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 blah. All these w- ways of generating some sort of revenue, even if it's not to the extreme that it is in other years. Craig Ed- Edwards actually wrote uh, an article basically talking about the fact that it's very likely that most teams could break even or actually make a profit this year. So to say that they're losing money is a little bit misleading in the sense that they're they're not going to make as much as they normally do, but that doesn't mean that they're operating at a massive deficit all of a sudden. And that is what I think they want people to believe so that they are more sympathetic to that of the the poor local business owner who can't afford to keep the doors open, which is not typically the the reality when you're talking about this many this many zeros behind uh, behind the dollar sign there. So that part of it is frustrating. I think what else bothers me in some of the conversation that's going around today. I mean, Governor Pritzker was talking about how upsetting it is that players are holding out for more money. And then you have Mark Teixeira on ESPN talking about how he'd play for pennies on the dollar if he had the choice and he wouldn't, you know, put baseball in this bad position. Um, The players already took a pay cut. Right. If they only play half a season, they're only getting half of their previously agreed upon contracts because that was the agreement they they made. So they're already taking a pay cut. They're already making sacrifices. Does it look the same as, you know, me or the guy down the street making a sacrifice? I, no, but it's it never does. That's You can't compare that because it's not the same to start with. Yeah. So this idea that players are, you know, being selfish and not making sacrifices just simply isn't accurate. Yeah, and I have nothing against Mark Teixeira, but a retired player, especially a player <laughs> who who made as much money as he did while he played, has no business at all making any sort of comment like that. That is uh, a retired player be, uh, I'm, who you know, made a bunch of money, who also now works for a network who, that would like to be covering baseball. Yeah, he and, obviously has a vested interest right. in baseball happening because now that is his job. So. Yeah, it no no reason for him to say anything like that. If he was all. like an owner, like you know how Michael, like someone like Michael Jordan or who's another someone who went right. from like a player to an owner, then Derek Jeter or somebody. Yeah, yeah. Sh- certainly. Yeah, that's a much better example. Jeter is going to have a different outlook than other former players, and I get that. But even though Teixeira is in media or whatever. He should be keeping his mouth shut on that. That is, to me, very poor form for him to be saying that about a, a lot of guys who are basically colleagues. Guys, he, you know, guys. There's a lot of guys still yeah. playing when he was playing. I, I would be, I, 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 I can't even imagine. And, and you know, maybe it was just a a quick off the cuff remark that he regrets. I don't know, or you know, he just wasn't quite thinking about what he was saying. I just saw the same tweet that you know I think everyone else did. So I don't want to make it into the biggest deal. But if he really did say that in earnest, then that is just awful. He has no business saying that. In the same segment where that was being talked about, one of the other guys on the show said something about how it's such a shame that they're choosing the middle of a pandemic to basically stand their ground and stand up to the owners, which is wild to me because... You want to talk about choosing the middle of a pandemic to use to do something for your own advantage. Major League Baseball has done that with the minor leagues. They have done that with the players. All of a sudden, now the players saying, hold on, we already agreed to a reduction in salary. We're not going to revisit that. Somehow now it's the players who are choosing the wrong time to make a stand. I just don't understand how instinctively people side with ownership over the players. However, that is precisely why the owners put out, they leaked the information that they did. They did it in a way that would set them up as the the heroes to save the game of baseball. And 
now anything that doesn't just fall in line with that, you're the you're the the <laughs> the villain in this story. Yeah, and I, I would also add that you know this sucks for all of us. Like not having sports yeah. is awful. It truly is. Um, I, I don't think I realized how big of an outlet this was for me meaning sports, and I'm sure for you and for, for all of us, until this hit. I Have you noticed how without sports, when you turn on the TV and flip to the channels, at least me, I find that there's absolutely nothing on. I, <laughs> yeah. Like, like it, it never dawned on me how many bad shows there are on TV until this. I think because before I'd be flipping through channels, I'd see a bad show and it wouldn't even uh, cross my mind because right after that would be some sports game and I would just put it on that. But without that, I'm confronting what is apparently on television all the time. And I'm like, what is like, I don't know how like people who are non-sports fans, I envy them that they've been able to, you know, I'm trying to adjust to this. Um, But my whole point in this is like, yeah, we all hate this. No one is happy about the lack of baseball. Uh, I hate it. I'm, I'm sure the players especially hate it. I was going to say, the paid. players yeah, all want to play yeah, too. Yeah, they want to make money. Um, and the, the idea that the players don't want to make money, I would have to think is absurd. I think what the players want is to play in a – halfway normal environment and especially in a in a safe environment and i just don't feel as though any proposals set forth so far have offered that yeah and you know there are a lot of reasons for the players to push back on this revenue sharing thing Uh, tony clark made a statement talking about how this is essentially a salary cap and they're not agreeing to any sort of salary cap um, Jeff Passan laid out in pretty extensive detail why the revenue sharing thing has been such a sticking point. And, you know, there's even just sort of in principle, the idea that the players don't get a bigger piece of the pie when baseball has a record breaking year bringing in revenue. So now all of a sudden, Major League Baseball wants to theoretically limit them based on revenue when they don't reward them based on revenue in the good years. So Uh just on principle, it's a frustrating concept. And it's something that going into a new negotiation with the CBA, all of those sorts of things, it just sets a bad precedent. And it leaves a bad taste in the mouth of the negotiators on both sides of this. And that's what I think is so frustrating, is that all of a sudden you have people who look for every opportunity to criticize baseball anyway, talking about how it was better in the good old days or how, you know, back in my day, whether it's Mark Teixeira or John Smoltz, talking about how baseball used to be so much better in the glory days. And now it's that same crowd of people, it seems, who are ready with their pitchforks to basically destroy baseball for having the the nerve to allow their players to stand up for themselves. And that would have happened whether it was now or whether it was in the CBA negotiations. And, you know, it just, it, it it's impossible, it seems, for people to look at this as a negotiation in the sense that, okay, both of the sides of this conversation are giving things up. So maybe let's not pour gasoline on the flames and make it a whole lot worse than it needs to be. And some of that comes from, again, Major League Baseball not trying to leverage the power that they have on the PR front, as well as just as the owners of these teams. And I have a hard time not being skeptical of their intentions based on what we've seen with the minor leagues and what we've seen, you know, over the course of this process already. And how little they seem concerned with the actual survival or improvement of the game of baseball and how focused they tend to be on, you know, their own bank accounts, which uh, even if they are hurting, it's a very different kind of hurt than normal folks like us. So excuse me for not being entirely sympathetic to their, uh, you know, not creating millions and millions of dollars in profit this year. Uh, I'm with you. As you can see, I I think this is a complicated 
situation that is still developing and it's hard to really know where to go with it from here because there's still so much that's up in the air. But one of the other pieces of this that we have not really touched on yet would be the addition of the DH in the National League. And we actually have a voicemail to listen to that asks about the DH for the Cardinals. Hey, Tara and Alex, it's Carter, aka at Cardinals Chat 18 on Twitter. I was just wondering, wondering with the recent news that the NL will probably be adopting the DH this year for the shortened season. Who do you think the DH should be? And do you think the Cardinals should look at someone like Yasiel Puig in the free agent market to fill that spot? Thanks. Have a good one. Carter, our number one fan, thank you so much for another question. Everybody, don't forget, you can also leave us a voicemail and your question could be heard on the show. But this one... This one hits home for a lot of NL fans who are so anti-DH and whether you favor that move in the National League or not, if this plan goes through, it does seem like it will happen. And there's a bit of a discussion going around this week, Alex, as I get to Carter's question about how fair that really is, because NL teams didn't really have the chance to build a roster based on the idea of having a DH. When you look at the Cardinals, you know, they trade away Jose Martinez and yes, what they got back in, in Libertor is great and and all of those things, but you trade away a guy like Jose Martinez, who is in every way a DH and now you could have used him. So there is a little bit of a disadvantage to national league teams who didn't have the chance to prepare accordingly. That said, every team has somebody who can maybe hit a little better than they field. So if you look at the Cardinals roster as we presume it will be going forward, who would you pick as the Cardinals DH in the shortened 2020 season? Well, but before I want to get to that, I want to ask just a couple, well, one thing. Um, Is there a reason why in this uh, shortened season uh, during this pandemic, the having the DH in both leagues is advantageous. Uh, I, I'm sure this has been explained somewhere. Honestly, um, the, well, like, like, what's the why is this helpful for this yeah. kind of um, stress time in terms of uh, how much time we actually have to play a season? Why why is having the DH in the National League actually helpful? The only reason that I've actually seen given, as far as something like that, is to try to protect pitchers a little bit more because okay. it's going to be yeah. difficult to, you know, keep pitchers healthy with the way this is going to unfold. But wait, but why, why, but why? Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I mean, so I, the idea I think in my mind is that a shortened spring training is going to cause potential injuries for pitchers. Uh, okay. Th- that said, uh, I'm not sure uh, hitting is necessarily going to make right. a difference. Pit- That's not where what where they're likely yeah. to get injured. Adam, Adam Wainwright notwithstanding. Right, but that uh, wasn't I, I guess about... Pedro Strope got hurt uh, running to first. Right. Uh, but yeah, but, pitchers usually get hurt by pitching. Yeah. Um, and not so by I don't, hitting. But, I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, some... Some people are suggesting that this is Major League Baseball taking mm-hmm. advantage of the the uh, situation and sort of pushing ahead with what yeah. they wanted to do for a long time anyway. And I think that's more likely than any sort of manufactured reason of, of protecting yeah. pitchers or whatever you want to call it. All right. Well, I agree with that, which means I, I hate this <laughs> um, uh, because, yeah, we all know where this is heading. Uh, I, I will also say I, I agree that, you know, the, the NL teams are uh, at a disadvantage because, yeah, it's a real position and it's a real position you plan for. But really, there's only going to be one, again, if we even get to this point, there's only going to be one NL team that's actually impacted. And that's the team that's going to, you know, go on and win the pennant and go to the World Series. Right. So, um, whatever. One out of 15 teams, uh, you know, I, they'll all be fine, I guess. <laughs> it's not that huge a deal. So, anyways, the Carter's question. Um, if you are a Tommy Edmund believer, mm-hmm. which I am, then I think the logical choice for DH is Matt Carpenter. Okay. Uh, other, I, you know, you could also talk about, you know, you know, who's maybe this would be a good time to bring up Dylan Carlson, mm-hmm. um, experiment with him a little bit, have his bat in there. And sure, I like that. Uh, you know, 
Tyler O'Neill. This would be a good time to use Tyler O'Neill, although uh, seems like if you're going to use Tyler O'Neill's bat, then you might as well have him in the field right. uh, because I think he's a better outfielder than um, some of our other options right now, uh, mainly Fowler. Uh, but no, I think Carpenter makes the most sense because if you have Tommy Edmond at third base, that might be the best defensive infield in the National League. Yeah, I agree. And I think if you look at someone, so, okay, here's the reason that I think that it's a disadvantage for National League teams is that when you plan on having a DH, you turn that into a, you, you turn that into an offensive advantage, right? When you have a DH because, oh, you have to play interleague or because it's Matt Carpenter, what you're doing is trying to take a defensive liability off the field and mm-hmm. keep their bat in the lineup. That's a, it might seem like splitting hairs, but that's a very distinct difference when but, you, but if, but if, sorry, but if they're all playing each other, meaning if all these national league teams are only playing each other again until the world series, well, but they'd be matter. playing, I mean that the AL central and the NL central would be playing each other. We're, we wait, we'd still do interleague during this 82 game yeah, season. So it would be, Oh, gross. Did I miss that? The games against only it it would be divisional and regional opponents. So AL West teams play Uh, AL West and NL West teams. Okay, you can you can see how much research I did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that's that makes total sense. Okay, okay. Oh wait, never mind. Yeah, yeah. That's that's that's, all right. Forget what I said earlier. So it's um you don't have you don't have to edit it out. Just leave it in and make me look stupid. (laughs) Uh, uh, Yeah, yeah. National League teams are at a distinct disadvantage, but. They're still only competing against themselves in right. the standings. Yes, yeah, yeah. So. and and that's why. So it sounds like maybe a semantics a little bit to to talk about how a DH for an American League team because it's intentional is sort of there for their offense. And mm-hmm. when you just slide somebody in that role, you're kind of picking from who. You, <laughs> you want to keep their offense, but not their defense. So with Jose Martinez, it was sort of the same way in that he was a defensive liability, but they needed his bat in the lineup. So if you have a DH role, then you don't have to worry about the defensive liability. It just, it's a little, maybe just a different way of thinking about it. It certainly would be a different way of uh, kind of scouting and and building a roster around someone. But as far as the Cardinals are concerned, I do think that Matt Carpenter makes the most sense, assuming we get, the good version of Matt Carpenter. If it's the Matt Carpenter that has struggled the last couple of seasons, particularly in the first half, that's certainly not the guy you want as the DH in a role that you typically, typically give to someone who's going to help you offensively, not hurt you. So there's still that giant question mark for Matt Carpenter a little bit. I think Um, Dylan Carlson's an interesting option, but I do honestly think if it's not Matt Carpenter, it's probably a bit of a rotation depending on yeah. who needs to play that day. I don't think outside of Matt Carpenter, there's one guy that it's like, he's our DH all the time. It just is going to depend on, you know, who you need to play that day and, and maybe who's riding a hot streak and you can mix guys in and out of the lineup in other places without taking that bat out of the lineup. So maybe one day it is Tyler O'Neill. Maybe one day it's, um, you know, Paul Goldschmidt because he needs a day off and you can put someone else in the field. I don't know. Maybe it is Dylan Carlson. Maybe it's somebody else. You know, I think they have those options that they can move it around a bit to accommodate the rest of the guys in the lineup, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, we kind of had to started to debate the Tommy Edmund, Matt Carpenter, how you get them both on the field at the same time thing, which could be handled with this, this DH scenario, but um, again, I don't quite know why it needs to happen to to play this way this year, but it it really all depends on how good Matt Carpenter is and if he can claim that spot. Because if he can offensively, if he can do that at the plate, then it makes perfect sense for the the defense to be improved by putting Tommy Edmond in that role, and then you put someone who's actually an outfielder in left field instead of Tommy Edmond because you have nowhere else for him to play. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So that Carter, I think would be our answer. Um, And, you know, assuming that major league baseball pushes this through and then (laughs) 
finds a way to keep it in baseball for the next forever, then yeah, they would have to consider someone else in free agency um, moving on from this season to kind of build around that concept. I think anyway, you know, um, totally unrelated, but you know, something I just realized what remember when, well, I guess this has been like late February, early March when I would like, we, we were in the middle of spring training and I would try and sound cool by saying I'm, I'm not watching spring training games. <laughs> uh-huh. That seems so long ago. It really does. <laughs> Do you kind of now a little bit now, wish, I wish you had watched? I, I, that was the next thing I was going to say. Now um, <laughs> I'm an idiot in the, and I, I should have been watching every single pitch of spring training because that's very likely the only Next baseball year we, are, like we are going to get. Plan your entire life yeah. around being able to yeah. watch spring training games. <laughs> I'll never take it granted again and, you know, put my nose up in the air as if I'm too good for uh, spring training. My goodness. Oh, man, that does seem like forever ago. But just uh, about two months since everything got shut down and we're looking like probably a month before anything gets going again potentially, if all goes according to some version of this plan that was proposed this week. Um, Before we just keep talking ourselves in circles with this, I think we'll end it there. But if you all have anything to say about the proposal from the owners or about a different plan that you'd like to put forward since we did that a couple of weeks, well, I don't know, I say a couple of weeks now that was probably like five weeks ago that we talked about alternate plans for the return of baseball. And um, hopefully next week we have some more real things to talk about as opposed to just absurdities coming from Major League Baseball owners and the people who want to blame the players for that. So we will leave that there, but we do have to finish this show with a chirp of the week. Great. So I'm glad Carter asked that question because my chirp of the week is actually about uh, the Cardinals and the DH. Mm. Uh, so since the, uh, when did interleague begin? Was that 95, 96? Mm. Uh, around there, right? Um, 97. 97? Yes. Okay. Okay. So since 1997, uh, at least when the Cardinals have been uh, playing an interleague series in American League Park, they have utilized a designated hitter. Um, Tara, I don't want to put you on the spot so you can tell me to shut up and just answer my own question. But uh, do you do you want to take a stab at who has the most plate appearances as a Cardinal as a DH? Oh, gosh. Um, no, you can answer your own question. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's not going to surprise you. Matt Holiday. OK. He has 135 plate appearances as a DH. That's 50 more than the next person, huh. uh, which is uh, Jose Martinez, the dearly departed Jose Martinez, who okay. has 85 plate appearances. Um, now, now back to Holiday. He was an awesome DH. Uh, in those 135 plate appearances, he batted 277, 356, 571 for 150 WRC plus. Um, again, only 135 plate appearances, and he hit nine home runs. 17 runs scored, and he drove in 26. So he did a really good job at the DH. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you the top five by plate appearances for a Cardinal as a DH. Uh, again, I said Matt Holliday's first, 135. Uh, Jose Martinez with 85 plate appearances as a DH. Scott Spezio, <laughs> third, 56 right. plate appearances as a DH. Albert Pujols. Okay. Um, I actually would have thought you would have had more, but yeah, Albert Pujols. 45 plate appearances as a DH, and he absolutely raked. He has a uh, 202 WRC+. Mm. And then Matt Carpenter, number five, with 37 plate appearances. And I regret to tell you, Tara, he has not been good as a DH. Uh, again, just 37 plate appearances spread spread over, uh, I assume, uh, multiple seasons. So we probably don't need to worry about this too much. Um, but... He only has a 290 slugging um, mm. and a, a 74 WRC plus. This and, is going to uh, be the new he can't hit outside of the leadoff position. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, some more fun with DH stuff. Cracking the top 10, another one I never would have suspected, although it's not a ton of plate appearances, so it's not a big deal. But number 10 on this list by plate appearances at DH Tino Martinez, huh. uh, 21 plate appearances, and he absolutely raked. He had 190 WRC+. So Taguchi has the highest batting average as a nice. Cardinal ever as a DH, batting 1,000. <laughs> uh, two plate appearances and two singles. 
Nice. Um, let me tell you some other uh, stars. Uh, Dexter Fowler actually has the highest WRC plus uh, as a Cardinal, um, as a DH. Uh, that's just four plate appearances, but he still he has a 470 uh, WRC plus. Right. That ed- edges out Sotaguchi's 463. Other fun people, other fun names you might see up here. Uh, Chris Duncan, uh, 189 WRC plus and 34 plate appearances as a DH. Reggie Sanders, uh, also pretty good, only although only five plate appearances as a DH. But the star is clearly Holiday. A ton of plate appearances as a DH. Again, 50 more than the person who's next on the list. And he absolutely hit the crap out of the ball, which is not surprising because he hit the crap out of the ball when he wasn't a DH mm-hmm. uh, because he pretty much hit the crap out of the ball all the time. Um, but, you know, we know Matt Holiday wasn't the greatest fielder, so this would have been a natural role for, for him if he had perhaps been on the Cardinals, um, I guess, 10 to 12 years later. Than he, than he when he actually was yeah since it does sound like the dh is going to be here eventually yeah. if not this year and that's your trip of the week cardinals and the dh there you go so we just need a 2020 version of matt holiday to show up and then we would have much less to worry about i am curious how many years it's going to take before the dh is in the nl and people go uh you know i'm kind of glad that he was there in that spot as opposed to just complaining about it all the time because of course we will and we will certainly do that on this show and many others but for now oh, well real quick i wonder how so sotaguchi is batting a thousand as a dh but uh-huh. again only two plate appearances i wonder who has the most plate appearances as a dh while batting a thousand that's something i'm going to figure oh. out and uh i will reveal the answer on next week's show like it show of the week or just show in general can't imagine it'll be much more than <laughs> <laughs> Four or five plate appearances, but who knows? We'll see. Yeah. Maybe maybe there's a hidden gem in there from yeah, yeah. some point in, in history. All right. Figure that out. We'll talk about it next week. And hopefully we'll be talking about um, more conclusions to the debates between Major League Baseball and the players. And, you know, maybe we won't be talking about the total demise of baseball a week from now. That would be great because we really all would like to have baseball back in our lives sooner rather than later that will do it for this week's episode of chirps thanks so much for tuning in and listening to us sort of work through our own thoughts on this mess feel free to do that yourself and share it with us on twitter i'm at tara wellman he's at alexcard79 you can follow the birds on the black podcast channel podcast page whatever you want to call it just just search birds on the black wherever you listen to podcasts And wherever you found this one, that's probably where you should find the next one. Until then, I'm Sarah. He's Alex. Thanks for listening.